good friend of mine called up and said, uh, doing a little study on baptism. I want to know if you've preached any sermons on baptism. And so I was been reviewing the lessons that we have on the website. And just especially for our guests, I want to invite you to go to our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. All the lessons that have been preached here over the last five and a half years are up there. And you can find those in articles. And so I invite you to take a look at that. But I've been was looking through it and discovered that about three years ago, I preached a lesson entitled, What Baptism Does Not Do. And we learned that baptism doesn't save us all by itself, and it doesn't doesn't replace faith and repentance and confession. And we talked about the fact that baptism doesn't stop suffering, and it doesn't give us a license to sin, and it doesn't remove temptation. And we learned all these things that baptism doesn't do. And so then I started looking for when I preached a lesson to give the other side of it, what baptism does. I realized I never did do that. So it's uh, about three years overdue, but today I want to give you the other side of that. What baptism actually does. And there are a lot of things that baptism doesn't do. But we need to keep in mind that the Bible does tell us that the baptism really does do some things for us. And this is one of the most hotly contested and debated issues from the Scripture. It's, it's really quite surprising because the Bible says several things that and as far as I'm concerned, what the Bible demonstrates is pretty clear, almost almost unarguable, and it, it amazes me the number of arguments and discussions that come up around baptism. And in the modern religious world, baptism is often called important, and yet it's still considered extra. Really, in the modern religious world, for the most part, baptism is a nice thing to do. It's a good thing to do. It's, it's something that everybody ought to do, but really it's just an extra thing to do. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with your salvation. It's not necessary. It's not essential. If, if you went through your whole life without being baptized, that would be okay, as far as the modern religious world is concerned. What I want to share with you is as we look through the New Testament, it says some pretty strong things about baptism and what baptism really does accomplish. And by the time we're done, I'll just leave it up to you whether you realize that it's just something extra or is it something essential. And I think that we'll all come to the same conclusion by the time that we're done. Now, before we get into the things that the Bible says, let me point out to you that when I'm saying baptism throughout this lesson... I'm not just talking about getting under the water. I'm not just talking about being immersed for, any, for just any reason. The word baptism uh, really just means immersion. That's, that's what it literally means, immersion. And so it's possible that we could use that word, baptism, and, and mean any and all kinds of things. But when we talk about baptism from a biblical perspective, from what the New Testament talks about within that context, we're not talking about just being under the water for any reason. We're not talking about taking a swim. We're not talking about taking a bath. We're not talking about just being pushed under the water, even for just any religious reason. We're talking about a faith-filled response to what God says in order to accomplish the things that God said baptism is supposed to do. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. What did God say baptism accomplishes? And what should we be striving to accomplish through God's Word when we respond in baptism. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you because you are the awesome God and we're so thankful for your Son who has died for us so that our sins might be removed. And we're thankful for your Word. And no doubt there are numerous things that we continue to study. There are things that we're often confused about. But we're thankful, Father, that you've given us a clear path for how to come to you and become one of your children Help us not to argue against your word, but help us just to be open to what your word says 
so that we might know how to be your child, so that we might be forgiven and saved, so that we might be in your Son, Jesus, and His death might help us and save us. We're thankful, Father, for your love, and we we ask that you help us to love you. Forgive us, Father, because we need it, and we're so thankful that you condescend to take our sins away from us. Help us to overcome the tempter. Help us not just to enter Christ, but to live in Christ. We love you so much, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son, we pray. Amen. Now, what does baptism do? The very first thing I think that we need to recognize is that baptism brings us into Christ. Look in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, and verse beginning at, uh, let's say, verse 27. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 27, the Scripture there says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What Paul points out in Galatians chapter 3 is that God made a promise to Abraham, and of course for us now, it's been about 2,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, he made this promise to Abraham and said that there would be a blessing for all nations through his seed. That blessing came through Jesus Christ. The promise is is that through Jesus Christ, everyone can be saved. But we have to be in Christ. How do we become heirs of that promise? We become heirs of that promise by being in Christ. How do we get into Christ? Well, this passage says we are baptized into Jesus Christ. We can't be in Christ unless we are baptized into Christ. We can't pray our way into Jesus Christ. We can't attend church our way into Jesus Christ. We can't pay our way into Jesus Christ. We enter Jesus Christ by being baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this is really important. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, part of this was read as we prepared for the Lord's Supper. Let's look at it again. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Paul wrote, this is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you want spiritual blessing? Do you want every spiritual blessing? Every spiritual blessing only comes on those who are, did you see it? In Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And on through verse 14, he talks about some of those blessings. For instance, in verse 4, he says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What a great blessing that even though we have been sinners in Christ, those sins can be removed and we can be holy and blameless before Him. In verse 5, he says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. We can be God's children if we are in Christ. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We can be redeemed if we are in Christ. Only those who are in Christ receive the spiritual blessing of redemption. And then it goes on even further, points out the forgiveness of our trespasses. We can only have the forgiveness of our trespasses if we are in Christ. Christ. And finally, verse 11, notice what it says. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. In Him 
we have obtained an inheritance. And as Mark pointed out, as we took a look at, at his preparation for the Lord's Supper, where is that inheritance? For us, that inheritance is in heaven. It's only those who are in Christ that have the spiritual blessing of that eternal inheritance in heaven. No one else receives that. But how do we get in Christ? Galatians 3 and verse 27 was clear. We are baptized into Christ. You take a look at that. Does that sound like something extra? Does that sound like something nice? Or does that sound like something that we'd better do if we want to be in Christ? The Bible also says that baptism makes us disciples. In Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the first gospel account, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus having been resurrected is meeting with his disciples. And in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He has all authority. That means he can tell us what to do. That means he can tell us how it works. That means He gets to make it up, and we don't. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's what His command. His first command with that all authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, He said, making disciples by baptizing and teaching. Without baptism, we're not a disciple. Now, in our modern state of education, discipleship is not very common. For us, discipleship is a Bible term. But when Jesus said this, discipleship was actually a very common and understood method of education. A teacher would come into a town, he would set up shop, he'd go out into a public area, just like we saw Paul on Mars Hill, and he'd go out there and he'd start teaching. And some folks would be intrigued, and they would start following, and they would start listening. And then some folks would become so intrigued that they'd want to attach themselves to that teacher, and they'd want to develop a special relationship with that teacher. And if the teacher was so inclined or so impressed with them, that teacher might allow them to have that relationship. That person had become a disciple. And that teacher would now mentor them and work with them and would provide extra opportunity to learn and to teach and to build them up. But the student was not just somebody who went to a class for an hour a day with a teacher. The student was someone who was a follower. That's what that disciple means. It means more than just a student. It means somebody who is so desires to learn from this teacher that they're following that teacher, they're listening to that teacher, they're submitting to that teacher. And that's what this is talking about when it talks about being a disciple. I don't know if you've kept up with this, but perhaps you've seen today that folks have actually, some have actually been casting dispersions on the name Christian. They'll say things like, oh, oh, oh no, I, I'm not just a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I don't know if you've seen that. You can even go online and Google this, and somebody's made up a spoof commercial like the I'm a PC, I'm a Mac commercial. And it shows one guy over here who's a Christian and the other guy who's a Christ follower. And we're all supposed to realize, oh, it's the Christ follower who's really the disciple. But what's amazing is most of the folks that are even saying that, they haven't experienced biblical baptism. They're not teaching Bible baptism. They're teaching some type of experiential, I'm more spiritual than everybody kind of thing. Now, there's no doubt that you can't be a disciple of Christ if you're not living what Christ teaches, because that's part of this, too, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. But I want you to notice that you can't be a Christ follower. You can't be a disciple, a student of Christ, if you have not been baptized into Christ. How are disciples made? 
by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, Jesus said. Baptism makes us disciples. We just can't claim to be Christ's disciples or Christ's followers if we're not going to submit to him in baptism. The third thing I'd like you to recognize is that baptism brings us into the one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, the Scripture says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ has a body. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, it points out that the body of Christ is His church. There's one. It says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Even though there's many members, Paul said, and even though we all have different abilities and we all have different talents and we might all be able to do different work within that body, there is one body. And if we want to be a part of that one body, we have to be baptized into that one body. Now, please don't be confused here. I know our tendency is every time we see the word spirit to automatically think Holy Spirit baptism, but that's not what's being talked about in this. This is not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as it came upon the apostles, as it came upon Cornelius. This is talking about the fact that because we have responded to the one Spirit, baptized by one Spirit in the sense that the one Spirit has taught us to have this one baptism, as Ephesians 4 talks about, and that has brought us into the one body. Acts chapter 2 demonstrates this very same principle. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we know that Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 41 it says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter said, be baptized. About 3,000 of them were baptized and were added. Notice verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number. Some translations there say, and the Lord added to the church. And whether your translation says to their number or to the church, it gets to the same point. Here was a group of disciples. When they were baptized, when someone was baptized, they became a disciple. When someone was baptized, they were added to the number. The number of what? The number in the church. They were added to the church. The Lord added them. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added the church daily, those who were being saved. Do you see that? If you want to be a part of Christ's church, if you want to be a part of that one body, you have to be baptized into that one body. Not baptized into a denomination that says it's one of many, but baptized into the one body of Christ. Now, why is that important? Look in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 25. Now, in this text, Paul is talking about marriage, but he's relating marriage to Christ and the church. And he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
Jesus Christ came in the world to die for everyone, but the only folks for whom that sacrifice is effective are those who are in the church. For those who are in the one body. Only the church is presented to God holy and without blemish and without spot and without wrinkle. Only those in the bride of Christ, in the church of Christ, in Christ's church, however you want to term it, based on this passage, only those who have entered the one body are cleansed. And can I also point out to you, isn't it interesting that in verse 26, he says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Do you see that? By the washing of water? What do you think that water is? It's the baptism that brings them into the church. But I also want you to notice, with the Word, what does that mean? Well, just like we talked about the baptism by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, it's not saying that we're baptized in the Word somehow, but rather because we have followed what the Word said, which was revealed by the Spirit, we have been washed through this baptism. And we're now a part of that church. And as a part of that church, we will be presented to the Father, holy, spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. We'll be saved. So the baptism brings us into Christ makes us disciples, brings us into the one body, but it also brings us into Christ's death. Baptism brings us into Christ's death. Romans chapter 3. Excuse me, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, remember we learned that from Galatians 3.27, all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We're baptized into Christ Jesus. We are baptized into His death. Colossians chapter 2 tells us something very similar. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through the faith and the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Having been buried with Him. See, there's that same idea. We die with Christ. We're in His death and now buried with Him. His death is now added to us. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul said, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. One has died for all, therefore all have died. What he's pointing out is that Jesus came into the world and He died, and the reason for His death was so that we didn't have to die. And when we are in Christ, His death is imputed to us. One died for all, therefore, in a sense, all have died. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2 this time. We'll get to 1 Peter 3 in a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We see this picture of Jesus dying, him dying for us, us dying through his death, because he bore our sins that we might die to sin. Look in Galatians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. 
For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Now we're seeing that we're supposed to die with Him. He died so that we might all die through Him. He died and bore our sins on His body, in His body on the cross, but we must die with Him. Now look in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm supposed to be crucified with Christ. So see the picture that we have here. Jesus died. But he died, and his death is impeded to us. So in a sense, we all die, but we must die with him. Well, when does that happen? Well, what we already read in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, let's read a little bit more of that context. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We die with Christ when? In baptism. We're crucified with Christ when? In baptism. His death is, impacts us and is applied to us when? In baptism. That death, that forgives us of our sins. We're only in that. We only get to experience that through baptism. You tell me, does that sound like something extra? Or does that sound like something essential? Baptism brings us into Christ's death. Baptism grants us forgiveness. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 the Scripture there says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now to me that seems very clear, but some folks in our modern religious world will say, Oh, now wait a minute. Wait a minute, that for there doesn't mean in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. That for means because you have received the forgiveness of sins. I mean, we've all been in the post office, and we've all seen the wanted poster, and that wanted poster says, wanted for murder. Are they saying they want somebody in order to commit murder, or are they saying they want somebody because they committed murder? Oh, it's because. Well, see, that's, that's what Peter's saying there. You need to be baptized because your sins have been forgiven. Well, the problem with that is, it's just not true. The problem is, the word that is translated there, the Greek word, ice, always means toward, unto. We're making an argument based on an English word and how we sometimes use it today, but that's not the word Peter used. Peter used the word in order to. But I don't know Greek that well, and probably very few of us here know Greek that well. We just have to trust somebody to tell us that. Let me show you another passage, though, that teaches the same thing. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias had come to Saul, who had been persecuting the Christians. Saul had been praying for three days 
And here's what Ananias said to him in Acts 22 and verse 16. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Not arise and be baptized because your sins have been washed away. Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need your sins to be removed? There's only one way, and that's to arise and be baptized. That's how we get forgiveness. We don't get forgiveness and then later get baptized. We arise and are baptized, and through that, our sins are washed away. Baptism forgives us. Now, you tell me. Does that sound like something extra? Or does that sound like something essential? The Scripture points out that we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His body, we're made disciples, we're baptized into His death, and because that death is applied to us, we receive forgiveness. And what that means is baptism also gives us life. In fact, we'll take a look at the very passages that told us that we die in baptism. And notice that it says we're raised in life. In Romans chapter 6, again, Romans chapter 6, we read verse 3 where it says we're baptized into His death. Notice verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Because we were dead in our sins, we are buried with Christ, and through that we die to our sins. And when we come up out of that watery grave, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 told us that we're buried with Him. Notice what it says in verse 13. Colossians 2 and verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Because we are forgiven, we are made alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive to God. When does that happen? We don't pray that to happen. We don't go to church and that happens. We don't put money in the collection plate and that happens. We don't take the Lord's Supper and that happens. It says we're buried with Him in baptism. That's when that happens. What does the Bible tell us that baptism does? Baptism brings us into Christ. Baptism makes us disciples. Baptism brings us into the one body. Baptism gets us into Christ's death. And when that death is applied, baptism brings us forgiveness. And because we are forgiven, baptism gives us life. And so we conclude that baptism saves us. I remember when I was in college, I may have shared this story with some of you before. I may even use it in a sermon. I don't remember. I remember when I was in college, I was working at a furniture store in Florence, Alabama. And I was talking with a coworker, and we were arguing about baptism. And she just finally looked at me and said, you know, Edwin, it just seems to me that if baptism saved us, you think God would have said that in the Bible at least once. And I said, you know, I think you might be right. And perhaps you are just like this good friend of mine. And you're saying, I've seen all this, but I still just think that if baptism saved us, 
The Bible ought to say that at least once. Unfortunately, a customer walked in right after she said that. And so I wrote down on a sheet of paper, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. And I handed it to her and I said, go home and read this and let's talk about it tomorrow. Sadly, she folded up that sheet of paper, handed it back to me and said, I'm happy where I am. But let's read this passage so you can see what she didn't read. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not because it's holy water. It's not because it's a bath and it's removing dirt. It's because it's a response to God through the resurrection. It's saying, I believe in the resurrection. And through that resurrection, I need salvation. And so I'm responding to God by obeying Him. Not because I think that being pushed under the water is some miraculous thing that causes me to earn salvation, but because God has said, you're baptized, I'll save you. And so responding through the resurrection for a good conscience, we're baptized. And and what does Peter say? Baptism now saves us. But you know what? The Bible doesn't just say it once. The Bible says it twice. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I know that some have said, oh, now wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. When it said condemned, it said it doesn't say whoever is not baptized will be condemned. It just says if you don't believe. My question is, do you want to be condemned or do you want to be saved? If your goal is to be condemned, let's argue about what the verse says about how to be condemned. But if your goal is to be saved, let's talk about what the verse says about how to be saved. Because the verse says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism saves. No, baptism doesn't save by itself. Baptism doesn't save apart from the working of God. Baptism doesn't save apart from us repenting, apart from us believing. But baptism, as a response to God, having faith in God, and believing in the power and the working of His power through baptism. Saints. But we need to make one thing perfectly clear. As we started off, this is not just an issue of I've been dunked under the water at some time. This is a baptism that has faith in the working of God. There are a whole lot of people that have been pushed under the water and they didn't have any faith in the working of God. Now, don't get me wrong. They believed in God. They believed that God worked. They just didn't believe He was doing anything in their baptism. They believed that God had already forgiven them, that their sins had already been taken away, and now really their baptism is just something that they're doing in order to let everybody else know, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Or maybe their baptism was in order to become a member of a particular church or a particular denomination. 
But what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 points out is the Bible baptism that saves us is a baptism that is accompanied by faith in the working of God. And it's talking about a faith in the working of God through that baptism. If we go up and get under the water and we're not having any faith that God is working through that, then it's nothing. Might as well just have taken a bath or taken a swim. But we have to have faith that God is working through our baptism. Not that we're working, but that God is working. It's a baptism in order to receive the remission of sins. Not a baptism because we received it, but a baptism in order to receive it. A baptism to enter Christ. Not a baptism because we've entered Christ, but a baptism in order to enter Christ. A baptism in order to die with Christ and be a part of His death. Not because we died with Christ or because we've already received His death, but in order to receive and enter that death. So the question for you this morning is, have I entered Christ? Have you entered Christ? Are you one of His disciples? Have you become a part of His one body? Have you entered His death, received forgiveness, been given new life? Have you been saved by Christ? The question can be answered. Have you been baptized in order to do those things? With faith in the working of the power of God.